Hey there. Before we get to this week's show, we need to tell you about the NPR One app for your telephone. It's a place where you can find exclusive bonus content uh, from the latest season of Invisibilia. The deep, dark secrets that they did not include in the episodes you've already heard. They're on NPR One. That's an app that you can download if you haven't already. Find the brand new season of Invisibilia, plus stories from your local station, and who knows what else on the NPR One app. It's on your app store now. Hey, we're on our way out of town, but we still want to give you something to listen to so that you're not uh, surrounded once again by crushing silence. So instead of being alone, I hear some old bits, uh, old good bits from previous shows. So, Carrie, I, I know you wrote in and uh, you said we should let you know when things are, you know, a little gross. We should give you a warning. That makes sense because sometimes we do. Maybe we go a little too far. Are, Carrie, are there certain triggers uh, that, that gross you out in particular? Um, real, like really detailed um, descriptions of, say, you know, surgical procedures or like, you know, infectious diseases things like that right um, yeah yeah i don't know i'm i guess i'm not too bothered by most um you know by talk about oh god this is going to be really gross but um you know bodily fluids and things like that that doesn't really bother me so much but uh yeah i guess anything that makes me have like sympathy pains oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Carrie, the reason you're here then today is because we think we have something that that might push you, uh, that might push one of your triggers. And we wanted to, just to make sure uh, before we went on. Okay. I'm not eating. Okay, um, good. I don't plan on eating anytime soon, so we're good. All right. We, I think before we get to the interview, we're going to, we'll, we'll play you a little news clip about the story. And okay. you can decide whether or not to keep listening based on that. Okay. Okay. You ready? I think so. <laughs> Investigators are trying to figure out where a human foot came from after it was found washed up in Seattle. A group organized to clean up the city's waterfront discovered it near Pier 86 earlier today. The foot was still inside a shoe. There's no word how long it had been in the water or foul play is suspected. The medical examiner is now working to figure out an identity. I mean, I guess I'm horrified um, Do you... and a little curious as to where it came from. Okay, it's going to be gross. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so here we go. So that foot that we heard about washed up on the shore in Seattle, and it's at least the fifteenth foot that's washed up in the Pacific Northwest in the last several years. Yeah, there was a rash of them, sort of eight or eight or nine in a row, and then they stopped, and and then this new one. Curtis Ebbesmeyer is an oceanographer and beachcomber, and he's been brought in to figure out where these feet are coming from. So, Curtis, why is it? just feet that people keep finding? Well, it's very simple. The, the human body comes apart at the joints, and the feet are the only ones that wear protective floating uh, coverings, that is, sneakers or footwear. So when a body comes apart, and the body comes apart at the ankle bone, um, what you have is basically a foot in a floatable sneaker. And the foot, of course, will uh, bloat like any body in the water will, you know, bloat up a little bit, and that wedges the foot right in the sneaker, and off it goes, and 
a foot in a sneaker can probably float for 10 years. So ba- basically we're, we're seeing feet and nothing else because the foot is essentially wearing a life jacket. Correct. Exactly. Well put. <laughs> Wait, so it's not that there's like some serial killer out there chopping up people and then just the foot washes up. No, I've had a lot of media types ask me that. <laughs> it's very simple. It's the uh, your feet wear life protectors, and as simple as that. So it happens around the world, and it's probably been happening a lot since the 1970s when, like, Air Jordans and so forth became popular. Wow. So so the rest of the body, then, is probably, what, eaten and, and down deep below the sea, then? Yeah, but there are exceptions, like, uh, for example, uh, if somebody jumps overboard and they have their survival suit on, that's a nice flotation device. And I've had I've had a body that was skeletonized and drifted for two years, went from Alaska down to Hawaii. What, is, what do you mean, skeletonized? That means uh, eaten down to the bone. Oh. Like, uh, my wife and I just went to down to California on the train, and we had wonderful lamb, and we ate the meat right down to the bone. So I suppose if I tossed it out the train, it, the, somebody would say, oh, that animal is skeletonized. <laughs> <laughs> that was your review of the restaurant? Uh, we, did, yeah. it was, we skeletonized that lamb. <laughs> well, I, that's my own personal take on it. I work with a lot of medical examiners on human remains that wash up, on hit drifting heads and feet and all kinds of things that uh, wash up. Well, what what would it take? Like, what creature is, can get in there to skeletonize a human body like that? What's eating a, skele- a, a human down to the bones? Oh, crabs. Crabs love, I'm sure they love human flesh, and they'll eat right down to the bone, but they, they can't eat through the sneaker. And there's a lot of people missing, for example, in British Columbia that you mentioned before. There's about 2,400 people missing officially in the police records, and uh, some of those are going to be lost in the water. So it's not unusual mm-hmm. to find parts of bodies washing up. Have you ever had um, a foot wash up and then you'll have the, the other side come up, like a left foot wash up, and then there's its its counterpart a few weeks later? No. Um, it's just it's just usually one at a time, like a head and a head wash up, but the body never showed up. So it's a... Uh, Wait, what? <laughs> we had, it was a pretty famous case on... Uh, one of those forensic channels, and all they ever found was the head. The head washed up 40, 70 miles away, and I was asked to look into it to see if the drift of the head matched known oceanographic currents, and it did. Um, so you have a head here, and down in Florida there were a couple of guys fishing offshore, and they they hooked a head with, with, their, with their gear, and they didn't want to go in because they didn't want to spoil their day of fishing, so they put the head in a five-gallon bucket and kept on fishing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Did they did the did the hook catch the guy's lip? Like, did it seem like he was trying to get on the? I think the it, I think the hook went in the eye socket. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think this uh, maybe at this point we should probably check in with Carrie again. So, Carrie, how you how you holding up? Oh, I could not do that job. He's a brave man. It's still or a it's, man with a strong stomach. Yeah, it's still kind of gross. You think? Yeah. Yeah. What what I mean, a, it's just really macabre, I guess. But uh, yeah, gross. I I, I wouldn't want to see that. It's one thing to hear about it; that's bad enough. But if I had, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I could handle that. Well, there's still there's still more to come. All right. What's, oh God. Are you feeling uh, more curious at this point, or more grossed out? Um. <sighs> uh, ooh, 
I don't know. It's kind of a close finish there. I guess I'm still curious. Okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna roll ahead with this. Um, you know, uh, we apologize for, um, for maybe for what's to come and for all of our previous programming. <laughs> so okay. y- you're a, you were an oceanographer. Now you describe yourself as a, a beachcomber, right? I'm still an oceanographer, but now I want to know where things float in the ocean. And there's all kinds of stuff on the sea, but nobody really has studied it. So um, I guess I'm the world's first flotsamologist. (laughs) (laughs) So people, uh, you're the guy people go to when they find something on the beach. What What are some things that people have contacted you that they've found? Well, sometimes yachts wash up on the other side of the ocean. So uh, people ask me, where's my yacht? And I say, well, it's 8,000 miles away out in the South Pacific. And they say, uh, well, should I go get it? I said, no, I think the natives are uh, have turned it into a garbage scow, so I don't think you want to go. Wow. <laughs> the ocean is so vast, and people are on their cell phones so much, they lose, and people lose track of how vast things are. Has anyone ever told you about something washing up on shore that, uh, you know, kind of brought out military or government officials to, to clean it up or investigate? Uh, well, things, a lot of times there are, how should I say, um, inconvenient truths are always, I'm always bumping up against them. Like NASA, when they're launching all these new satellites for cell phones, uh, they use about eight rockets around uh, the central rocket, and uh, each rocket has a um, a cap inside the booster, and so as the rocket goes gets ready to be launched and gets about a hundred miles, they have to fire the plugs out of the rockets, and those plugs are three foot in diameter, five inches thick, and weigh a couple hundred pounds, and they fall into the water. Well, it's a federal offense to have one, but NASA doesn't want them back, so people bring them me bring them to me at my beachcomber fair in Cocoa Beach, and they say, well, what is this? And I say, well, you're not supposed to have that. I'm not supposed to tell you. <laughs> but the inconvenient truth is rockets are messy things, and a lot of things fall off of rockets. You might have seen the movie, um, what's the one with Sandra Bullock, uh, Gravity? Yeah, right. All that debris up there, well, a lot of that debris comes down. <laughs> you know, hear, hearing you talk about this, I, I think of uh, the, the way I think about the world and um, how far away... Japan is and how far away Europe is and you're kind of constantly encountering that things will travel from one of those places to another on on their own do you think that you do you think your picture of the world is is different than other people well I view, I view the world as quite fluid and of course it's mostly ocean yeah so it only takes three years to go across the Pacific two years to go from New York City to London so it's a uh, the ocean's very very quickly disperses things. The currents are very effective. They, uh, they're moving water and whatever floats on the water at the rate of about 10 miles a day. Uh, it doesn't sound like much, but they don't rest. So uh, the ocean can be pretty, pretty quick. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for talking to us about this. It's a pleasure, Mike. Pleasure, Ian. Okay, we should, uh, now this is us speaking in present day once again, uh, we should say that the 16th foot, another foot, uh, just turned up on Vancouver Island uh, in February. If you need a foot, that's where you should go. Hey, we want to tell you about our sponsors this week. Support comes from Blink, helping homeowners and renters keep an eye on what's happening at home while they're away. Blink's 
battery-powered high-definition video cameras use motion sensors to deliver instant video alerts right to your smartphone. Or check in anytime with Live View. Cameras can be placed almost anywhere in your home, and installation is super easy too. Learn more at blinkforhome.com and get 10% off your order with the promo code BLINKNPR. You can get 182% off your order with the promo code BLINK182NPR. That's not true. They would be giving you money. It's a great deal if you can get it. Okay, here is a sound effect you, you don't often hear. Mm. Mm. What that is right there, that's a recreation of our former producer, Steven, opening and then eating some graham crackers. He really, he loved graham crackers. And he was curious about them. Uh, he's a naturally curious guy. Uh, what he found out was that when they were first created, graham crackers were more than just a snack. Uh, they actually had a higher purpose. Adi Braun wrote about graham crackers in The Atlantic. So, Adi, we all know graham crackers. Our old producer, Stephen, uh, was just obsessed with them. But they weren't designed to just be a delicious snack, right? No, I mean, it was it was definitely not supposed to be delicious. I mean, it was a snack, but um, there were moral implications behind the snacking. So... Sylvester Graham was the guy behind the Graham Cracker, and he saw this correlation between um, health and sex. So, like, the more exciting the act, the more immoral it was, and the worse it was for your health. And he really saw himself as as on a mission from God um, for the sake of of humanity, kind of restore Americans back to health. Well, wait, so how do do Graham Crackers uh, fit into, like, the moral side of this? Graham crackers came out of his Graham diet. So he has this Graham system of living, and at the heart of that is the Graham diet. And it's, again, all about repressing physical stimulation. So the Graham diet is is very basic, and most vegetarians would recognize it today. It really relies on fruits, vegetables. It's a high-fiber diet, um, very little dairy, and whole wheat. And so he... Graham becomes kind of obsessed with this idea of, uh, of whole wheat, and he starts making his own wheat, basically, and he wrote a whole treatise about it. And out of that, he, he created uh, Graham bread, and from Graham bread came the Graham cracker. Uh, and it was, yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the, the ironies of the whole story, is that today the Graham cracker has uh, spices in it, which were not allowed in his diet, and it has sugar in it, and it's a commercial product. So everything so, that Graham hated is what the Graham cracker is today. Yeah. So would would the idea be, though, that, say, I don't know, he would have a sexual feeling or, you know, excitement that he felt was uh, morally inappropriate, mm-hmm. and he'd just pop a Graham cracker to try and quell that? Kind of, yeah. I mean... You know, I think that the the point was to um, live this lifestyle so that you wouldn't even get to that point. So I don't I don't know if it was like a direct kind of you know like you you take a hit of your graham cracker every time you feel an urge. But I, I think the whole point was that you wouldn't, weren't even supposed to get to that point. You're just you're the whole your whole life is just about like repression and you know just making sure that you're on this kind of like moral moral road to health. Well, this is great. Thanks, Eddie. All right. You know, we should we should test out if uh, graham crackers can really do what Sylvester Graham thought they could. We'll bring someone in, have them eat graham crackers, and see if it helps repress their urges. 
Coming into the studio now is our, our official taster, Peter Sagel. So, uh, do you like, uh, do you eat graham crackers? I'll, I have a graham cracker from time to time. I certainly enjoy a graham cracker. Yeah. Do you notice anything different about yourself when you're eating them? You mean like a cessation of sexual interest? Yes. Not particularly, no. No, no, or any other. I just, it's like, oh, it's a graham cracker. It's a, it's a, it's a moderately sweet cookie cracker. Okay. Right, well, we are, we have uh, queued up a series of powerful images to show you. <laughs> So what? <laughs> yes. So what we'll do is, yes. we will flash these images while you are <laughs> eating a graham cracker, right? And then you tell us if there if you notice any effect. Okay. Okay. All right. And we'll describe the images for the people at home. Okay. Oh, that's not at all what I was expecting. The image Peter is looking at is uh, young Martha Stewart from her modeling career. All right, I'm having a bit of graham cracker now. I, I, now I'm like, oh, it's Martha Stewart looking very young and spunky, and now I have a graham cracker in my mouth. So no, no, no effect. She doesn't seem any more or less attractive to me. Okay, good. We'll go to the next slide here. Oh, my, my heart just raced a the little bit. The image Peter is seeing is the Boston Red Sox winning the World Series. Yeah. Take a bite. Take a bite All of right, that cracker right. for me. I'm very excited now. I'm gonna stop you mid-chew. What do you feel? Still feel pretty good about that. It hasn't diminished my excitement. Okay. No. I'm thinking about that. No, it was a good night. All right, let's 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 try another one. Okay. <laughs> Guys, this is a workplace. The image I, Peter is looking at is a Civil War daguerreotype. Yeah. That that seems to be a um, family camping, mid-19th century. All right. Okay, what do you think? Like, what are those women doing with the Civil War soldiers? That's okay. basically. Although she does, the woman, I just happen to know, just have kind of a, a cocky look to her. She has a one arm on her hip. Would you, it seems that graham cracker has increased yeah. increased your yeah, focus maybe. on the woman. Yeah. Well, I, I think we've we've pretty much proven that graham crackers have have no effect on one's primal urges. I'd say, if anything, we've seen that in certain cases they actually enhance your urges. Yeah. Well, Peter, thanks so much for, for helping us uh, test out the theories of Sylvester Graham. It's, it's my pleasure. We heard from Nathan. Nathan says he listens to How to Do Everything while sorting his Lego collection and that he's down to his last 200 quarts of unsorted Legos. You know, but before we uh, play 15 seconds of music for, for Nathan... Um, can we, I need to know more. Can we get him on the line? Hello, Nathan. Hi there. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm <laughs> not too bad. Not too bad at all. So that that seems like a lot of Legos. <laughs> um, you know, for somebody who isn't uh, in the Lego community, which um, is surprisingly large, actually, uh, yeah. it, it does sound like a lot. But it's this, this is just my unsorted parts. Um, I for. A, for somebody in the Lego community, I have a, a medium-sized collection. I have mm, just shy of a million parts or so. You know, that's an estimate. Wow. Uh, but, you know, most of them are pre-sorted. I've got, oh, I think I'm into about 300 different containers of different parts. How, uh, how much longer do you think it's going to take you to sort through 200 quarts? Well, um, so these last four bins... Uh, are ones that have been sitting around since, 
Oh, man. And accumulating for about two years. Um, I am nearly done with one of the four, and that's I've been working on that for about two weeks. Wow. I expect I'll be done eh, September-ish. Okay. All right. Well, there's there's a summer, huh? Yeah, exactly. How many, Nathan, do you think, how many Legos do you think you have uh, hidden away in the cracks and cushions in your couch? Oh, God. I, well, so my collection, probably not as many. Um, you know, maybe, you know, probably in the, in the hundreds or so, but, you know, low hundreds. But the kids' collection is downstairs where the couch is, and their collection, I'm constantly, constantly... Yeah. Every time you sweep the floor, you pick up a handful of Legos. So. That's right. <laughs> I, I just did some quick calculations here. Uh, you could also say that you have 38,400 teaspoons of Legos. <laughs> and some of these won't fit very well in a teaspoon, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you... Uh, let's, let's say this. If you could use all of these unsorted Legos to build one, one thing, what, what might you build? Uh, actually, that one is pretty easy. I've got a, well, me and my uh, partner, Jennifer, uh, we have an ongoing project that we're constantly building new additions to. Uh, it's uh, something that's uh, in a standard called Micropolis. Right. Um, and uh, basically, it's a, it's a cityscape that's built out of little quarter block, you know, like city blocks, a quarter of a city block modules. Uh-huh. And so we're constantly adding to that and that's one of the reasons why i've got the collection in the first place and we've got about two hundred thousand parts sunk into uh you know an existing model of that and you know it's just over time all the rest of these parts are going to probably go into that project that sounds awesome it's fun it's good to have a hobby so you have you have legos in the way that some people have cats or dogs uh we also have dogs (laughs) which is the scary part but yeah yeah it's a lot like that (laughs) all right nathan these next 15 seconds are for you You know, this song, uh, it's not the first time we've played it on our show. It was actually a finalist in the World's Worst Song competition we held a few years ago. In this case, though, it's actually a great soundtrack to Nathan's job of building a city. Not with rock and roll, but with Legos. Yeah, the song the song would be um, pretty literal if it was, we built this city on Legos. Yeah, but then again, uh, Nathan isn't sorting a, a million rock and rolls. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I, I learned that uh, the the Air Jordan has had a, a bigger impact than just uh, Im- improving the game of basketball. Not only did it help you dunk more, it also helped your feet survive after you'd been eaten. Yeah, you don't see that in the uh, in the commercials. Yeah, it's just a lot of cool dunks. They never mention how it protects your dead feet. I, I learned that uh, graham crackers were originally intended to uh, quell one's urges. Right, it, yeah, they're like the cold shower of snacks. I mean, you think about s'mores. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the s'more is really, really not the intended, it's almost counter the intended purpose to just demand some more. It, well, not only that, but it's, it's, it's gluttony. I think uh, Sylvester Graham wanted celeses. How to Do Everything is produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. Special thanks this week to Robert Newhouse. Our intern this week is our old intern, a classic intern, Seth Kelly. It's like the light from a distant star. 
You can see it, but it may have, may have already been gone. Yeah, Seth Kelly is actually a million years old. Give us your questions at howto at npr.org. You can visit our website at howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, this show is over. Whew, what a relief. Uh, it's time to move on to something else from NPR. Like Ask Me Another. It's a podcast for games, trivia, and puzzles. Better make a clean break um, from what you were doing before and do something almost identical. Brush up uh, your Shakespeare with Sir Patrick Stewart. Play Dirty Jobs in Space with Mike Rowe. I like both of those people a lot. Yeah, that sounds great. And see what you know about TV shows you watched as kids, if you were allowed to watch TV. You can play along now at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app. Again, they want us to spell out O-R-G for you, so we'll do that now. O-H-A-R-E-G-E-E. Correct. I-G-H. So that's uh, NPR, D-O-T, O-R-H, O-H-A-R-E.